Of summer, Paul Pitchford wrote, Summer is a period of luxurious growth. To be in harmony with the atmosphere of summer, awaken early in the morning and reach to the sun for nourishment to flourish as the gardens do. Work, play, travel, be joyful and grow into selfless service. The bounty of the outside world enters and enlivens us. See, I live in Tucson, so I'm more partial to Sidney Smith's take. Heat, ma'am, I said. It was so dreadful here that I found there was nothing left for it but to take off my flesh and sit in my bones. So if you've seen the news or have any friends in the Southwest, I'm sure you know that it has been a tad warm. On this episode of The New Professor, I'd just like to talk about all things summer. So sit back in your beach chair, take a sip of that three-ingredient cocktail, and listen to the sounds of the ocean tide as it gently beats back the shore. I'm Dr. Ryan Strait, Assistant Professor of Educational Technology at the University of Arizona, and this is The New Professor. It's hot. Like, really hot. Like Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport has to cancel flights because planes can't fly hot. Like the Eiffel Tower expands and grows by seven inches hot. Like, it's too hot to think of any more analogies hot. So I want to touch on a few topics, again, all generally related to summer. Summer research and writing, what summer does to classes and students, and then some summer safety for you and the family, both two-legged and four. Summer's free time is notorious for slipping through your fingers like sand appropriately enough. And instead of trudging through a litany of productivity hacks and suggestions, I'd like to direct listeners to Prof Hacker's posts about summer where their in-house and guest writers have talked about it for years and have some really great suggestions and realizations to share. Regardless, there are a few things that I would suggest that summer is especially suited for. It's a good time to learn that citation management software. Mendeley, Citavi, Zotero, Dossier, Quick, EndNotes, Papers, the list just keeps getting longer. So if you haven't bitten the bullet and started down the path of integrating one of these into your workflow, now might be the time to do so. They're all either free or have free trials, so give each one a week or so and see which fits into your system best. I'm personally a Mendeley and Citavi guy, but that's another show. If you're looking to make sure that you stick to a writing schedule or just not fall off the end-of-your-discipline wagon, try 750words.com. I wouldn't suggest it for drafting something like an article, but it's a great way to do a daily brain dump and to get those gears greased. The site's been around for a while, years, actually, and basically it does what it says on the tin. Each day you write 750 words. There are some gamification elements involved like badges and streaks and a few interesting metrics, but other than that, it's really quite simple. It's based on the morning pages 
routine from Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. Though her version is longhand writing, and since my handwriting is atrocious, if I'm going for stream of consciousness, I have to type to keep up with it, I go with 750 words. Another way to enjoy summer is to just get out, read and write in places other than your home or office. Grab your laptop or tablet and Bluetooth keyboard, maybe print some articles, and go someplace different. If you're lucky enough to be in a location that's not three or four feet from the surface of the sun, find a park. If, like me, you're living in a literal convection oven, try a new coffee shop. Or, heck, even a bar in the afternoon. Remember that quote that's almost assuredly a misattribution to Ernest Hemingway? Write drunk, edit sober. Though I prefer write with wine, edit with whiskey. For some DIY home improvement, grab a giant whiteboard from Home Depot or Lowe's and turn an entire wall of your office into a brainstorming megaboard. You can get a four foot by eight foot white tile board for $13. It's coated with melamine, which works as a dry erase surface, though you can apply some treatments to it to make it last longer and work better. Throw one of these in the wall and voila. For comparison, a three foot by four foot dry erase board can run you nearly $60 on Amazon. It's kind of a no brainer, really. Next, experiment with different schedules. You could try one like Japanese author Haruki Murakami. Sleep from 9pm to 4am, work from 4 to noon, take an hour to swim, and then spend some time with the family until bed. Or you could try Picasso's routine. Sleep from 2am to 11am, hang out and eat until 3pm, work until 11pm, grab a bite to eat, and then work more until you fall asleep. You can see a lot of these kind of schedules. Uh, I'll stick the link in the show notes. If you just get to write, awesome. But if you're also teaching, as I do, scheduling your time on your own calendar for yourself can be helpful. And I think I've mentioned that before. But speaking of classes, summer is the time of accelerated classes. So this can mean one of two things. On one hand, you might be teaching a class that's always been taught in the summer and is pretty well fitted for that time frame and pace. Incidentally, the summer course length I'm thinking of is about five weeks from start to finish, with no finals or anything. But your mileage may vary, as it were. Now, if that's the case, easy peasy. Update the content where necessary, make whatever logistical changes are required, and you're off to the races. On the other hand, it's entirely possible that you're converting a class to be taught at an accelerated pace. That is to say, you might have a class wherein the curriculum is set for a traditional 16-week-ish semester, and you find yourself suddenly tasked with crunching that down to five weeks while being told to maintain the breadth, depth, and rigor of the class that lasts more than three times that long. If you find yourself teaching in a program that provides certification or licensure, like that of teacher education, this can get dicey. Make no bones about it, this is no simple task. And I don't want to focus on class conversions, generally speaking, as that's slated for an entire episode, but I'd like to just hit some of the basic bullet points for this, as I think it's kind of handy. The truth is, you have to sacrifice something. It's generally understood that you should go for retaining depth over breadth. 
I teach at the undergraduate and graduate levels simultaneously during the school year, but over the summer, I teach almost exclusively graduate. That means that many of my students are adults, call it middle age if you want, and have, well, adult things to do, like holding down jobs and taking care of family. And while that's no different from during the regular school year, these short classes are much more intense and require considerably more time on a consistent and persistent basis. These students are looking for experiences that are not only relevant to their lives, but meaningful. Favoring depth over breadth lends itself to precisely this. Essentially, it's all about focus and pace. So while a full semester class can be broken down into more discrete, topic-based modules or themes, the accelerated curriculum is more like a dance, where everything needs to seamlessly and appropriately not just connect, but very likely overlap. Combine this with discovering students' prior knowledge and relying heavily on that, maybe much more than usual, and you can turn a regular semester class into not just a functional short summer class, but an enjoyable one. If the class you're teaching is online, consider summer a great time to really get to know the instructional designers available to you. They're there to support you and, through you, your students. So give them an opportunity to do what they do best. Beyond the teaching and construction of summer classes, something that's often, I think, overlooked is how the weather can impact students. By this, I don't mean that they can't get to class because there's a level two snow emergency. I'm specifically referring to the increasing number of homeless or housing insecure students. The University of Wisconsin study found that 13% of community college students fall into this category. Not only is that terrifying, but as college costs rise, so does the number of students in this category. So it's possible that one of the nine students in your seminar might be doing their reading and thinking outdoors. So do your best to find out when and how you can help those students. And I mean, normally sitting outside and reading sounds nice, but not when you don't have the option and not when it's 117 degrees in Phoenix. And that's important because of what the heat can do to the brain. It results in impacts on reaction time, fine motor skills, even logical thought processes. So when it gets really bad, there are basically two types of heat-related illnesses, heat exhaustion and heat stroke. Heat exhaustion is essentially when your body gets too hot, believe it or not. But your internal regulatory system, the hypothalamus, gets overwhelmed. I think most of us that have lived in hot areas and spent time outside in the summer have felt the onset of this. Sweating, weakness, headache, thirst, these are all, these are all pretty pedestrian in terms of how heat can impact you. But exhaustion also presents with symptoms like muscle cramps, dizziness, nausea, paleness of the skin, even vomiting. Left unchecked, by hydrating and lowering your body temperature, it can turn into heat stroke. Heat stroke, or hyperthermia, can result in seizures and the swelling of the brain and other organs, leading to possible serious and, though rare, permanent psychological and physiological damage. So that brings us to staying safe and healthy in this intense, intense heat. There are some basic things you can do to help keep yourself happy and healthy during this extremely hot weather, or if you're like me, even just during mildly warm weather. First, drink a lot of water. You know how much you're drinking now? 
drink more. And then probably more than that. And if this means you have to take frequent bathroom breaks, so be it. Also check your AC and do whatever kind of maintenance you need to do. This includes changing the air filter in the blower unit that's separate from the AC itself. Cleaning the unit, watching for freezing, even checking the pipes. And also make sure that your vents inside your house are free of blockages and aren't being covered up. Now conventional wisdom might say that by closing some of the vents in the lesser used rooms of your house might help cool the other rooms better, but if you go overboard on this, the overall effect can be the opposite of what you intended. If a lot of sun hits a side of your house with a lot of windows, like happens here, consider using blackout thermal curtains. I can personally vouch for these. They're amazing. And you might not think about this too much, but all those electronics in your house, the computers, the TVs, game consoles, all these use a lot of electricity, but more than that, put off a lot of heat. So shut those down. If you have to drive somewhere, please, please do not leave anything alive in the vehicle, even if you think you're just running inside somewhere for a moment. In a matter of minutes, the inside of a car on a sunny 80-degree day can reach 94 degrees Fahrenheit and will break 120 in an hour. I don't even want to tell you what happens when it's 114 degrees outside in the first place. This has become such a problem. For example, San Jose State University reported 172 child vehicular heat stroke deaths from 2012 to 2016. That Arizona is currently working on a bill to make immune from prosecution anyone that breaks a vehicle window to save what they perceive to be a child or animal locked inside that car. Ultraviolet radiation is another concern during the summer months, not because it's necessarily worse, but because people tend to be outside more. Basically, avoid tanning and sunburns, wear a lot of sunscreen, be careful of reflective surfaces like being on or near water, as you'll get UV rays from two directions instead of just one, and wear protective clothing. Simple as that. So beyond these simple things, one aspect of summer I fear a lot of folks don't consider and I see this all the time in Arizona, and it makes me really mad, is the temperature of the ground in relation to the air. This is especially relevant when walking dogs. It comes as no surprise to anyone that the pavement is hot during the day, but I think the intensity of that heat difference can be pretty astounding and would surprise most people. For example, asphalt in Arizona routinely gets to an average of 155 degrees Fahrenheit, during peak summer heat. As a point of reference, that's 20 degrees past the internal temperature for a medium-rare steak. To put that in perspective, the critical burn temperature, that temperature at which you will actually burn, is 111.2 degrees Fahrenheit. And that takes about six hours for a second-degree burn to occur. Increase that by just five, up to 116 degrees, and that time drops to 45 minutes. At 133 degrees, it takes 15 seconds. At 140, second-degree burns take 5 seconds. And remember how hot that Arizona pavement gets. So to protect yourself and the kids, make sure they have some sort of foot covering on at all times during this kind of heat. For the puppies, you can buy little doggy booties for them to wear, and I have to admit, watching your dogs get used to wearing those is heartbreakingly hilarious. And I'll stick a link to a 
pair of those in the show notes. So all this to say, enjoy your summer, but do it safely. And let me know what your great summer strategies and plans are. I'd love to hear them. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. And please share The New Professor with your friends. Nearly all the listeners of the show come from word of mouth. And thank you for joining me. Now for one of those three-ingredient cocktails. <laughs>